0: Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you use the Apostle Paul to put these words into writing so that we would understand them today, so that we can return back to them time and again to remember who we are, to remember what it means to be adopted into your family. So I pray that this same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would come meet with us this morning, that you would bring conviction You would bring understanding, and you would bring grace uh, to us as your people today, and we pray this all in Christ's name, Amen. Well, good morning. We are journeying through the book of Romans, and before we jump into the text, I just want to say a a word about why I'm not wearing the normal pastor uniform, the normal button down with the collar. Um, This T-shirt, if you've been following our emails uh, and our our uh, social media, we wanted to support an organization called uh, Black Alumni Association at Whitney High School. Uh, They provide resources, mentoring, advocacy for black students in this local community. And it's just a small way for us as a church to partner with organizations that are doing good work, kingdom work. Uh, I went to Whitney High School. Um, It's kind of interesting because when I was going to Whitney, I never bought anything that said Whitney High School on it, partially because uh, some of my friends that went to Cerritos High School, Gar High School, would always remind me of how uncool I was simply because I went to Whitney. So I think this is actually the first Whitney High School uh, apparel that I have ever purchased. Um, But I am grateful for their work. Uh, I know a few of the alumni, some of the faculty uh, that are a part of this association, and many of them are believers. Many of them are living out their faith Uh, by being an advocate in the community. So with that said, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to jump into the text this morning. We're in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16. So if you could turn there with me, we're going to be unpacking that. So Romans uh, 8, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Verse 13, for those who live according to the flesh will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, I I wanna explain what's going on um, visually. I apologize, I'm not the best artist. I'm also not uh, one with great penmanship, but I'm a visual learner, so this makes sense to me, hopefully, This helps you in your understanding. So we're going to start here with the believer. And keep in mind that this is, uh, let me try and stay as centered as possible. This represents the Christian. This represents the person who has been justified in the eyes of God through the work of Jesus and it is this person that is under the label no condemnation that we see from Romans 8:1 that Brandon talked about just a couple of weeks ago. So this is the Christian, okay? And according to Romans 8:12 to 13, there are a couple of routes that this person's mind and therefore their life trajectory can take. On one hand, this person can live according to the flesh. And what Paul says is that when you live according to the flesh, you then fall into slavery. It makes you slaves to the flesh, slaves to uh, unrighteousness, and ultimately, this leads to death. On the flip side, because of the Spirit, we have the opportunity then to live according to the Spirit, And in living according to the Spirit, as we see in verse 15, we are then declared to be the children of God. And we're going to unpack this a little bit. But the end result, just so that you can see it, is that we then live lives of life and peace. I'm going to write shalom Uh, just because the the Hebrew term captures that sense of of wholeness, redemption, uh, life as it should be. Uh, The New Eden, uh, if you've been following along in our Multiply class. And so for the Christian, we see that in this life, while we still live with the presence of the flesh, and and by the way, the flesh is more than the physical body. As Eric explained last week, the flesh is all the unredeemed parts of who we we are that remain uh, in this lifetime. That we live under this tension, um, this side of heaven. And so as Paul writes in verses 12 and 13, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, that just because we have certain urges, certain inclinations, certain motivations embedded in our fallen uh, selves, doesn't mean that we have to follow that. Just because something itches doesn't mean we need to scratch it. Just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean that we have to fulfill that. Paul says that we have an obligation, and that obligation is to our family, to our uh, new identity as children of God. And then in verse 14, Paul says this. It's a simple statement, but it's really revolutionary in the narrative of redemption. Verse 14, he says, those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And just backing up a a little bit, when we look at the Mosaic Covenant, uh, when God first rescued Israel from uh, slavery in Egypt and gave them the law, the Torah, the instruction in righteousness, it was then those who abided by the law that were the children of God. And so now in the New Covenant, what Paul is saying is that it is those who are led by the Spirit who are the children of God. The people of God is now defined not by an ethnicity or a code of ethics, but rather, do you have the spirit? And so this is uh, applicable to all people, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slaves, free. And then in verse 15, this is kind of the crux of our passage today. Paul begins to uh, explain sort of the the pinnacle of this spirit-led life. He says, the spirit does not make you slaves again. It's not like the law. It doesn't hold you down um, in this this legalistic, uh, graceless religion. Rather, the spirit brought about our adoption to sonship. And we're going to unpack this in a little bit. I just want to kind of put it up here. Adoption to sonship, by whom our hearts then cry out, Abba, Father. So we're going to start here, adoption to sonship. When we think about adoption, we typically think about our modern day um, expression of the term. So usually there's an orphan, (coughs) excuse me or a child who uh, has a biological family that is is unable or unwilling to uh, take care of him or her. And so then the state then assigns them um, uh, an adopted family to which they will uh, raise and care for them. In Paul's day, uh, and and by the way, Paul is the only one that uses this adoption metaphor. And and so a metaphor is is what it is, so you don't want to take that um, too far. But in ancient Rome, Adoption was more of a practice that was transactional. That children at that time, specifically sons, were valued little more than than slaves or property. That children could be bought and sold, uh, could be traded. So one example would be if a family or a head of a household had numerous sons and didn't have enough of an estate um, as an inheritance to pass down. A son could then be adopted into another family, perhaps a father who did not have a son, who did not have a male heir to carry on the family name, the estate, the inheritance. This son could then be transferred or adopted into this new family. And for all intents and purposes, this son would then be dead to its biological family, and then all of its rights, its inheritance, Uh, its wages, its identity, and its obligations as a family member would then be transferred to this new family. And so that's what Paul is explaining here, is that when we are adopted into God's family, it's not necessarily that we were orphans, even though that analogy uh, fits, it's that we are transferred from one family of the flesh into God's family. And this phrase, adoption to sonship, is important. It's not just um, uh, following kind of the gender-specific language of the time. The phrase, adoption to sonship, is really important because it refers specifically to the sonship of Jesus, that we are essentially adopted into the same rights, the same relationship that Jesus enjoyed with the Father. And so that brings us to this next phrase, Abba, Father. So Abba is a phrase, uh, it's it's a term from the Aramaic, which was the vernacular of uh, the first century uh, Jewish population. It's the language that Jesus spoke. Uh, However, the New Testament is largely written in Greek. And so for Paul to insert an Aramaic term into a Greek language text is significant. Now Abba means, uh, it's a term of endearment. Uh, that expresses um, trust and vulnerability. Uh, It's a term of endearment that a young child, a a, a toddler, uh, perhaps even even closer to to, uh, an infant, would would cry out, Abba, Abba. It it would be sort of the equivalent of, of Daddy or Dada or Papa in the English. But before we project forward, into our culture, I think it's important to to look back at the legacy of of where this word came from and and where like, and and, and sort of the rationale for Paul inserting it into his Greek written text. The only other place outside of Paul's writing that we see the word Abba in the New Testament is in Mark 14.36, where Mark records Jesus' prayer, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross. And and I'm paraphrasing, but he cries out, Abba, Father. If there's any other way that that you can accomplish salvation, that you can um, make the world right, would you do that? Would you let this cup pass from me? But not my will, uh, but yours. And so we see that in Jesus' darkest moment, in his moment of desperation, He cries out, Abba, Abba. When the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray, he says this He says, Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't worry about long prayers that make you look religious and holy. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father like this Our Father who art in heaven how holy is your name may your kingdom come may your will be done see he asks his disciples to address god as father and keep in mind this is revolutionary at the time this is uh, in a jewish culture where the name of god was so holy that it wasn't even to be uttered out loud it wasn't even to be written down that it was it was that holy that uh, transcendent of a being that to address God as Father uh, was almost sacrilegious. But we see time and time again throughout the Gospels that the way that Jesus interacted with God was as his Abba. It's how he recharged when ministry got demanding that he would withdraw and he would spend time with his Abba. He would constantly say, I'm only doing What I see the father doing. I'm only doing what I see my daddy doing. That they were that close. And so it's important to note that when we learn to pray, Abba, Father, when we recognize our adoption to sonship, we are going back to the legacy of Jesus. We are walking as co heirs, as brothers and sisters of Christ. Now, I do want to point out that in the English, in our American culture, the idea of father is so loaded that we inevitably bring in our own baggage, our own past, and our own relationship with our fathers, our earthly fathers. And without getting too deeply into it, I just want to acknowledge that God transcends all of that. That the human language in which the Bible was written... Um, is limited, just, just like all of our human capacities. So the, this God that Paul is writing about far transcends our experience. And I think that's important to note, whether you had an amazing father, a great childhood, or whether you had a, a horrific childhood, and your father was absent or abusive. I, I want to declare to you today and remind you that your Abba in heaven is so much bigger than that. And really I want to just offer this sort of holistic uh, definition of, of what it means to address God as, as Abba. God is Abba, I believe, is an embodiment of everything that makes a child feel safe, accepted, valued and cared for. God is Abba is an embodiment of everything that makes a child feel safe, accepted, valued. And cared for. And so that's kind of the the image that I want to leave you with. And and I'll be honest, I've had to wrestle with this this idea, this concept. I've had to come to terms with my relationship with my own dad, my relationship with my my parents. And as I kind of prayed through that uh, this week, uh, I was reminded of what it was like for me to be a young child, uh, sort of the same age as as my daughters uh, today, and I'll be honest. When I was a kid, I was scared of a lot of things. There, there were a lot of things that that made me uh, afraid, um, and uh, one of the things that that I was afraid of was sleeping alone at night. In fact, every night I would pray the same prayer, and it was this long list of things that I was asking God to protect me from, and. Uh, it was stuff like, uh, dear Lord, would you please protect me from nightmares that have anything to do with clowns, uh, trains, the dark, dead bodies, those two doorknobs that look like eyes, um, my older brother, um, vegetables and things that taste yucky. Uh, and it was this long list of things that scared me. And oftentimes, I would wake up in the middle of night, after having these nightmares, and I'd be terrified. And so I'd get out of my bed, I'd go to my parents' bed, and I would, I would ask them, can I sleep in your bed? Um, you know, eventually I grew out of that, but... Um, depending, I think, on, on where my parents were at, they would occasionally allow me to, to sleep in their bed. And that would be uh, right in between my mom on the right and my dad on the left. And I don't know if this was just in my mind, or if there was actually some sort of spiritual covering. But sleeping in between my parents, in their bed, I never had a nightmare, at least not one that I could remember. There was something about the safety of being hedged in by uh, my dad on the left, my, my mom on the right, that made me feel safe. And so when I think about my Abba, my father, I think about being in that place of safety that place where I'm hedged in, where there's no monsters that are going to come up and get me on either side, that, that this is a place of no condemnation, that I'm not given to fear or death, I'm not given over to the flesh, that I'm able to live up here as a child of the king, adopted into uh, the sonship of Christ. And so I don't, I don't know what image works for you, uh, what you can draw on, but I, I, I do love this idea of, of cultivating this uh, idea of of seeing God as Abba. Uh, One more practice uh, before we leave. Uh, Well, before that, I I do want to finish up the text. So verse 16, Paul kind of wraps this up, and he says that this spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, himself testifies with our spirit, again, that we're God's children. So the the Holy Spirit uh, speaks and communes with our spirit, with who we are, And it reminds us, I think, on a daily basis of who we are as God's children. Uh, And then next week, Eric will pick up in in verse 17. But but I want to close our time with uh, a practice that I've been doing this week. And this comes from uh, the late Brendan Manning. And it's a very simple prayer that he would pray continuously throughout the day. And it simply goes like this. It says, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. I belong to you. And it's something that gets synced with your breath. So as you breathe in, you think, Abba. As you breathe out, you say, I belong to you. It's seven syllables. Uh, really easy. And because it syncs with your breath, and by the way, spirit has this little image associated with the Greek term uh, for breath. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for us. So I'd like to close our time. If Wherever you're at in, in your living room, Uh, Not if you're driving, um, but would you close your eyes? Would you stand up straight or sit up straight? And to begin to breathe, breathe deeply. Breathe in, Abba. Breathe out, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. Father, I thank you so much That you embody what it means to live freely, to live in acceptance, to live in grace, to live under this banner of no condemnation. And so, God, I do ask that your spirit would testify with the spirit of everyone listening this morning. That they would be reminded of who they are as your children. And that you and your spirit would begin to cultivate within them an image of who you are. That we would begin to see ourselves not as slaves to sin, not as slaves to fear. But teach us what it means to own our identity as those adopted to sonship. Teach us what it means to cry out to you as Abba, Father. So we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the praise, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.